Mark Lee Dixon is a pastor, the director of Right to Life of East Texas, and the founder of Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn. Mark has been traveling throughout Texas, working with churches and city governments to develop a total of now 37 sanctuary cities for the unborn. In May of this year, Mark helped create the first sanctuary city in Texas that already had an active abortion center in Lubbock, Texas. A regular defendant in abortion industry lawsuits and a defendant in the abortion industry's recent lawsuit against Texas's heartbeat bill. Mark is a, a fly in the ointment for the abortion movement. That alone makes him a hero on this show. Buckle up. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Mark, welcome to the show, brother. Great to be here. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, always uh, good to see um, fighters, pastors who care about life and are actually doing something about it in their local communities. And I think uh, you more than most people in the last year have drawn my attention um, for that local engagement. Um, and I really want people to learn about what you're doing. I think it's a really interesting new strategic approach to ending abortion in our local communities. But before we dive into that, um, I just want you to share your heart a little bit. Let, let our listeners know and share with us kind of how you got involved in pro-life ministry. Um, and then from there, how you began sanctuary cities. But what's your background? How did you get involved in this fight? Well, my grandfather had a great impact on my life. And he was the Gregg County Republican chair over in Longview, Texas, and also a director with an organization called Right to Life East Texas. Now, Right to Life East Texas is a small organization and has no connection with Texas Right to Life, just a small, less than $20,000 operation every year. And he would be a part of that on a regular basis. And they would, one of their big things was out at the Gregg County Fairgrounds. They would have a booth there. And, and every time I would go with my family to the fair growing up, uh, we would have to go by Grandpa's booth. And he had these fetal models there. And right. I remember seeing those fetal models. And year after year, they just had such a, a great impact on my life. I knew that that's what a baby looks like in in the womb. And right. I saw the, the eyes, the, the, the mouth, the little nose, the, the arms. And it just instilled in here that that picture of hmm. this is at one time I was that small and even smaller hmm. and so over the years that was ingrained in me and then uh, when my grandfather passed away of cancer in 2006 I felt compelled to get involved in what he was involved in and I became a director with Rights Life East Texas and then I found myself at that booth that my grandfather had worked year after year. And wow. I got to see what my grandfather saw uh, with the people going by that booth and the little kids saying, look, mom, it's a baby when they <laughs> saw those people. And, wow. just, and then I would see the other kind of response you know, some some parents would say, uh, yes, it is a baby, and they would 
use it as a moment of education for their child. But right. there were also mothers that wanted to to cover their eyes of just a fetal model. Wow. A picture of, of life. And wow. so had a huge impact on me and and you know it was my grandfather's writings that really put an emphasis on he believed that local officials needed to be on the record of if they were pro-life or not and yeah. really asking people where they stood on the issue of abortion uh, do they yeah. believe that be weighed is a constitutional right or not right. and little did i know that some of those old writings of my grandfather would have such a, a massive impact hmm. later on in what is the sanctuary cities for the unborn initiative. Wow, Mark, that's that's really cool. Well, I was I was telling you earlier off camera that uh, we both have a pretty strong pro-life heritage uh, from our our parents, or in your case, grandparents, on the issue of life, and that's obviously affected both of us in a profound way. And it's exciting to see how God has expanded um, both of our territory um, as just instruments at a moment that may be more important than any other moment in American political history on the issue of abortion, on the issue of life. Um, because we're seeing our government overstep its constitutional boundaries in basically every sphere of life. Um, and that's because if you don't get the right to life right, uh, you won't get any other rights right. Uh, we've got to go back to those foundational fundamental premises of this republic um, if we're going to secure what our founders called the blessings of liberty. Um, that's why they said the right to life first, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Um, and so, uh, so I love hearing your heart and how committed you've been to this fight. You're a pastor as well, um, but you've, you've devoted even more of your pastoral energy as a missionary for the unborn in recent years with Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn. So coming from your grandpa, coming from your heritage of local engagement, working with local politicians and city governments, um, seems to have had a pretty profound effect on you. So tell us how that relates to Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn and how all this got started. Well, we found out that the abortion facility in Shreveport, Louisiana, and we knew that at one time they had looked at crossing the border to Wascom, Texas. And so that was a concern that maybe because the tightening restrictions in Louisiana, that you know, they're not they're just not going to stop doing abortions. They're going to find some way to continue the right. murder of innocent children. And so crossing the border 18 miles uh, to the west seemed like a very logical thing that they would do. Mm -hmm. And we had evidence that one of the former directors of that abortion facility had actually said that it would make sense if abortion was shut down in Louisiana to cross the border to Wascom, Texas. There was someone down in the Houston area that had pledged land in a building to that abortion facility. Hmm. And so we heard that there was a possibility of that facility shutting down. We had to do something. And wow. it was really heavy on my heart and ended up uh, the straw that broke the camel's back was Amos 5.15, which says to hate evil, to love good, and to establish justice in Austin, Texas, and Washington, D.C. Now, that's not what it says. 
It says to hate evil, to love good, and to establish justice within the city gates. Perhaps hmm. the Lord, the God of hosts, be gracious on the remnant Joseph. So we reached out to Mayor Jesse Moore, explained to him my concerns, and he said, what do we need to do? And I said, you need hmm. to pass it's outlawing abortion within the city limits. And so they did. They became the first city in the nation to pass an ordinance outlawing abortion within their city limits. Wow, that's incredible. And what year was this? This was June 11th of 2019. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I remember the lawsuit with June Medical versus Rousseau. And uh, the uh, Supreme Court uh, let us down. Um, but that's incredible. Wow. Um, and so you've been doing this for, I, I guess, uh, just over two years now. And now you're at 37 sanctuary cities for the unborn. Uh, walk us through how God sort of turned this into a little bit of a tidal wave. Um, how did you progress from there? You've stayed all locally in Texas because that's kind of your territory. Um, but how did your ministry continue to grow? And, and what are some of the fruit and blessings um, from your ministry and from the fact that you've, you've helped local city officials develop these sanctuary cities? Well, we have seen just an awakening of, of local governments that people are seeing that they need to pay attention to who their mayor is, who their city council members are, and also on who's on the school board, that they need to make sure that the people in these offices are representing their beliefs and values. We have seen very conservative cities. We have seen very conservative cities vote this down. And it is, we're talking about cities with over a 90% Trump vote in their county, voted it down. And so this has been a wake up call to many people that it doesn't, doesn't matter how conservative your county voted. If you don't have leadership that has a, a spine and moral mm. conviction, then what good are they? Wow. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Uh, beautifully said, Mark. I mean, I have a real bone to pick with those who claim to be conservatives but are not pro-life, right? Or those who claim to be conservatives but they're pro-life in their personal life but they support its legality. I mean, ultimately, there is actually no such thing as a pro-choice conservative because you can't conserve this republic if you don't conserve the foundational right that this republic is built upon, <laughs> life. And without life, no other rights can be exercised or realized. And so if we're going to develop a strong conservative ethic and in this country and having the church lead the way in contending for life, then every conservative has to be pro-life and has to live and act as if abortion is actually the murder of innocent children. Um, now, you have gotten a lot of heat because of your work developing sanctuary cities for the unborn, um, which I think is kind of proof in the pudding, Mark. And so when squishy pro-lifers or fake conservatives, right, say, uh, what are you doing? You know, we have to, we have to, um, respect federal legislation and, you know, Roe versus Wade is the law of the land, even though the courts don't write laws. And so, you know, even though that we have a federalist system where you have local state control and then local city control, you still shouldn't be doing this, Mark, because, you know, we have to work within the framework that the Supreme Court provided us in 1973. Uh, and yet what you're doing is 
pissing the left off. It is pissing the abortion industry off, which to me, I mean, that just makes you a hero on this show. Anytime you can be a stick in the eye, a pain in the butt, a fly in the ointment to the abortion industry, um, then, then you'll definitely be my new friend. Um, but you've received a lot of heat. In fact, you're, you, you've been a defendant and currently are in more than one lawsuit filed by the abortion industry, including the recent one against Texas for their heartbeat bill, which I want to get to um, in a little bit. But um, this ministry has really come to a crescendo in the city of Lubbock, Texas, which is the first city that had an abortion center already active in it when it became a sanctuary city. And it's the largest city, to my understanding, that you've helped turn into a sanctuary city. So I, I wanted to provide that framework for our listeners. Now, can you explain to us what happened in Lubbock, Texas earlier this year? And let's unpack this sort of strategic attempt to create sanctuary cities, even in cities where there's already abortion centers. Absolutely. So what happened in a nutshell is that Planned Parenthood announced that they were going to be opening an abortion facility in Lubbock, Texas. Now, the people of Lubbock did not want that. And we had already been collecting signatures in Lubbock, Texas. Of course, Lubbock was, you know, it's a pretty large city. Uh, most of the sanctuary cities for the unborn, you know, cities less than 5,000. Right. But Lubbock, it's a city of 264,000. And just to put that in perspective, so in, in Texas, everything is always bigger, right? Uh, but Lubbock is the 11th largest city in Texas and the 8th <laughs> city in the United States. Oh, wow. And so I was not thinking Lubbock was going to be this soon, but of course, it pushed things forward. Senator Charles Perry, Representative Dustin Burroughs, and Representative John Frulo all approached the mayor and city council of Lubbock and encouraged them to pass an ordinance outlawing abortion within the city limits. Now, the mayor of Lubbock did not like being put on the spot, and the mayor of Lubbock and the city council of Lubbock all seemed to have as they went on radio shows and interviewed by the, the newspapers and other, other other talk shows, that they seem to have this uh, standard answer of Roe v. Wade's the law of the land, that abortion is a constitutional right, that right. this is uh, not the job of uh, city councils. This is the job of those in, in Austin and Washington, D.C., and so this battle began, and eventually uh, we saw the mayor and council voted down uh, unanimously. Uh, we forced that vote. Uh, we went through an initiative referendum, and we, the city charter allowed that we got so many signatures, then we could force a vote by the mayor and council. And wow. we saw that they were... Um, this wasn't going anywhere uh, with them, and so we got it on the ballot. Now, there's a lot of stuff that happened in between, a lot of craziness. Uh, they ended up spending, I think it was over $25,000 on a legal opinion from a law firm called Olson Nolson, uh, which has family ties to Planned Parenthood. 
And so we came out on that. Uh, Of course, they're going to be against the ordinance. And then uh, they also, we saw, now the city of Lubbock didn't do this, but it was very interesting. We had uh, the Planned Parenthood in Waco, Texas. When it comes to abortion in Texas, all roads seem to lead to Waco, Texas. Hmm. Very interesting. But in Waco, Texas, uh, that Planned Parenthood ended up submitting to the Lubbock Police Department a watch list of uh, 13 pro-lifers that were going to be involved in a Lubbock March for Life and encourage the police department to, 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 to keep an eye on us uh, that wow. this event was going to be happening and that some of implied that some of us might be, be dangerous. <laughs> so that's the, you know, just a crazy situation, right? Right. And so uh, we were, we saw a lot of security at the Lubbock March for Life and we thought they were protecting us. And after we heard this, this news came out, we're thinking, were they actually watching us? Uh, were, were we the ones they were concerned about? And wow. so interesting situation there. But what happened is May 15th, Planned Parenthood in Lubbock started and you and I both know that, you know, abortion is a, is a, is a nice word for it. We're talking about the murder of innocent children. So they started murdering innocent children made in the image of God on April 15th. Early voting started on April 9th. Hmm. May 1st was the election and we saw a landslide election. The people of Lubbock turned out. And we saw 62% to 38%. Wow. The citizens of Lubbock stood up and voted for life. Great news. We ended up seeing, um, we saw the, uh, when when this happened, everyone was celebrating. Uh, We had a a big watch party at church and uh, we were extremely thankful. And now this ordinance had to go through the necessary process at the, just like any election, the the votes had to be canvassed. And so we saw that happen. Uh, and they said June 1st was going to be when this ordinance was. Well, we're continuing to go see other cities outlaw abortion. And we were at a council meeting in Leveland, Texas, a city of about 15,000 people. And during that council meeting, I got news that Planned Parenthood had actually filed a lawsuit against the city of Love. Now that was on May 17th. And then the real fun began, right? right. And so we saw this lawsuit uh, go forward and it was in uh, federal court, uh, Judge Hendricks's court. And Judge Hendricks ended up, uh, he wanted the, to hear from the state of Texas, Attorney General's office. Uh, 
where does state law stand on this this issue? Right. Can this can it not? And on May 31st, the state of Texas said that the Lubbock ordinance is consistent with state law. Hmm. With or without Senate Bill 8, the heartbeat bill. Because there are statements in the heartbeat bill that support cities passing ordinances outlawing abortion that are even stricter than the heartbeat. Right. And so, but it was clear that even without Senate Bill 8, which had already passed, been passed into law, uh, with even without that, that cities could do this. Yeah. And so June 1st, the abortion industry complied with the total ban on abortion. Historic first time in history this had happened. Hmm. And uh, later in the day on June 1st, Judge Hendricks ended up releasing a 50-page ruling dismissing the lawsuit that Planned Parenthood had brought for a lack of standing. And so victory for life. And we know that Planned Parenthood in Lubbock did about did, they did, uh, 39 abortions in May. That's what mm. number I'm But June 1st, when that ordinance went into effect, zero abortions. Wow. Praise and God. That's incredible, Mark. That's amazing. So this is the this is the first uh, sanctuary city that's been developed where there was an abortion center. There's no longer babies being killed in Lubbock, Texas, because of your commitment to life and the faithfulness of the Christians um, who were obedient, who turned out to exercise their civic responsibility, um, which the biblical term for that is uh, stewardship, <laughs> being a steward of the political power given you in a constitutional republic where you can seek righteousness and restrain evil at the local level to honor God and to love your neighbor. And of course, the unborn is the only neighbor that it's legal to kill. Uh, And so what an incredible testimony coming out of Lubbock, Texas. Now, I wanted to dive in, um, Mark, into the, um, the political strategy that this sanctuary city model represents, particularly in the Lubbock example, where, I mean, you actually had to stop doing abortions or defy the city law because these other sanctuary cities didn't have an abortion center. They're just proclaiming there never will be an abortion center in our city. Lubbock is obviously um, the exception to that. And so what is the enforcement um, mechanism that's at work in these ordinances in a city like Lubbock? And, And why do you think the abortion industry has complied with it? So the Lubbock Ordinance contains two enforcement mechanisms. There's the public enforcement mechanism and the private enforcement mechanism. The public enforcement mechanism says that if any abortion takes place within the city limits of Lubbock, then the max fine for a violation of health and safety can be applied, which is $2,000 per violation. Now, it's very clear in the ordinance that that penalty cannot be imposed until certain situations happen. Either the courts give a declaratory uh, judgment that says that 
this does not create an undue burden for these penalties to go forward or the courts make a ruling uh, overturning uh, Roe v. Wade or Casey or or various other scenarios. And so the public enforcement is dependent upon other factors. So the, the government, the city of Lubbock, they have no role in enforcing this. There's hmm. a reason. For that. Uh, private enforcement, on the other hand, is immediate. It is not dependent on any court rulings. Uh, it is. It just goes into immediate effect. And what that is is that it says that any if there's an abortion that takes place within the city of Lubbock, then anyone who is a family member related to that unborn child. And then there's another provision that, that speaks of, of anyone in general. Um, so like it would include people like myself, for instance, could sue the abortion industry for the death of that unborn child. And specifically, wow. you can sue uh, anyone involved in the abortion. So the abortionist and anyone who aids and abets the abortionist. So what we're talking about there is we're talking about they could sue the abortionist. They could sue the nurse helping the abortionist. If the person driving someone to the abortion knew exactly what was going on, they could sue them. Wow. The person paying for the they could sue them. Right. And so this ordinance, how it's drafted, the penalties, of course, are on um, those aiding the aiding and abetting the abortion and the abortionist uh, him or herself. Uh, but of course, it does not go after the mother of the child. So we have to be consistent with, with state law. And of course, the pre-row statutes never uh, penalize the, the mother of the child. And that's a whole other topic, of course. But right. we're consistent with state law. And, and this ordinance, you know, it, it actually is working not only within state law, but it's also working within Supreme Court, which are not law. And I think that's really something that our culture misses, that they have this, uh, they've been deceived by this lie that Roe v. Wade is the law. And they need to remember what they learned from Schoolhouse Rock, that there are three branches of government, and there's only one branch of government that makes laws. That is the legislative. The judicial branch doesn't make laws. And so it's the whole idea that the Supreme Court has the ability to strike down laws as if they never existed. It's not true. That Supreme Court doesn't have that power. They don't have a giant eraser. All the Supreme Court can do is they can say a statute is unconstitutional and therefore unenforceable, but they can't erase that statute. Hmm. And so they can give direction to the courts as far as how they're to deal with these issues, lower courts, but they can't erase that law. The only body of government that can remove a law is the legislature that enacted that and we need to get that down. Uh, the pre-row statutes in Texas are still 
the law of Texas. And what those statutes say is that abortion and aiding and abetting an abortion is a criminal act unless that abortion is pertaining to the life of the mother. Right. Yeah. And that's very helpful, Mark. I, I want our listeners to understand that, that Texas law pre-Roe versus Wade does not allow abortion. And so the Lubbock City and these other sanctuary cities are simply operating off of their state laws. They're not in violation of their state laws, which has its own jurisdiction. This is the model of federalism that our founders intended and which, in which you're working within, and I think that's so valuable. I, 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 to be honest, Mark, I was surprised when I first began following your work and the, the work of Sanctuary Cities that Planned Parenthood abided by this. And now, we know that the abortion industry rolls out a lawsuit any time any person tries to pass any type of legislation that imposes even the most minimal restrictions on the abortion industry, even if they're meant for the health of the mother and not the life of the child, they still roll out a lawsuit. Um, and they have, and they've challenged this, um, but they're abiding by the Lubbock City Ordinance and Laws, which says no abortions in the city of Lubbock. And we mentioned, we were talking about this off air before, Mark, but I want you to mention this, that Planned Parenthood in the abortion industry has actually fairly frequently um, admitted and, uh, dare I say, promised to abide by local city and state laws, even though they'll fight them within, within the courts, but they will abide by those laws. Can you speak to that? And what are your thoughts on, on, on implementing the sanctuary city model in other cities in Texas that already have abortion centers in them? That's a great question. Now, usually when we look at where the abortion facilities are located at, they're in areas that are extremely liberal. And that's a challenge. Right. Having, if, if you're only, if you're living in a city where you have a 20 to 30 percent Trump vote, what kind of leaders do you have? Right. You probably don't have leaders that are conservative. Mayor Adler in Austin, Texas, he doesn't, (laughs) not going to be invited to his birthday party. Uh, right. So I've gone before the city council of Austin to criticize their legislation of defunding the police and funding abortion assistance organizations. Horrible, complete wickedness. Right. Who does that? Uh, who campaigns to defund the police? and fund abortion assistance groups. Right. Nonsense. That's right. And so in this picture, uh, we're seeing this can happen, of course, in any city in Texas, but you got to have those good leaders. That's why you got to get involved in local government. I think there are several cities that lose it in Texas. And so we've got got to fight hard. Uh, I don't want to see us lose Waco. Yeah, I don't want to see that's right. That's right. I don't want to see us lose all these great cities that we have 
And I'm seeing, you know, great movements that I think we can take back our cities. And it's the only way that's going to happen is if people get involved in their local government that they realize there's there's one city that is very near and dear to my heart where the majority of the city council pro-choice. Yeah. Majority of the city council openly campaigned for Beto Award. That's right. And so what chance does that city have to enact this? Exactly. Yeah, and that's why what you're saying, Mark, about, about Christians engaging at the local level is so important. Um, because if, if Christians were to live out their faith in every sphere and practice the stewardship of the political power given to them as the sovereign in America, we the people are the sovereign, and wield that political power in a way to honor God and love our preborn neighbors, we would own every election at the local, state, and national level forever, Mark. That's always been the case. My Faith Votes always talks about this with their statistics. They say it's like a 90 to 100 million uh, Christians uh, in America, and half of them are uh, not registered to vote. And the half of them that uh, are registered to vote, half of them don't vote. I mean, it's just like, it's wild. It's un- unacceptable in any model of, of sort of Christian stewardship and civic responsibility. And so even in far left cities like Austin and others, Mark, if the pastors and the shepherds were as brave as you and cared more about their truth than their reputation and their tithing, we could even flip cities like Austin. You're seeing right now what's happening in California, my home state, where, we're, where I'm recording from right now, where it looks like Newsom might be recalled. And that is because of the faithfulness of, yes, a lot of Christians who participated in getting the recall ballot going, but you're also seeing this nationwide movement of families and parents showing up at their school boards because they're pissed off at their school board's two things, critical race theory and radical sexual education, which Planned Parenthood helps co-write, by the way. They help co-write this sex education. My whole point is is that there's an awakening happening, and Christians are starting to awaken. I told you recently that I've spoken at more churches in the last 10 months than the previous 10 years of my speaking ministry. Uh, God is on the move. Something is going on. And if we will wake up and participate in this propitious moment where God is stirring the hearts of his people, we can even flip these liberal cities. But it requires getting people involved and getting Christians, godly men and women elected, into city council positions so that we can create these sanctuary cities for the unborn. So like most things that we talk about on this show, Mark, the solution is the church, being the church, being the bride of Christ. Because if pastors had the same spiritual clarity on abortion as you do, Mark, and they realize that this is child sacrifice to demons, then they would be contending in a very different way if they actually had those spiritual eyes, if they actually saw the demons that were hanging out on the shoulders of women as they walked into abortion centers, if they saw the demons that were living inside of the abortionists and operating those forceps as they tore the limbs of our preborn children and neighbors apart, they would be living and engaging very differently. So I actually want to use that as a transition point as we talk about abortion being child sacrifice to Satan and demons and waking up the church to see it as such so they live as such. You have actually had a political battle with an abortion fund 
called Lilith Fund. Lilith Fund. They're an abortion fund in Texas that actually helps people fund abortions. That's how much they love abortion, apparently, Mark. Oh, you don't have the money to kill your baby? We'll help you get money to kill your baby. Um, can you talk about this lawsuit? Can you talk about Lilith Fund? Um, how much they hate you and how this plays into this bigger spiritual landscape of abortion? Absolutely. So I'm being sued for defamation because I said that the abortion industry is involved in the murder of innocent children. And I have specifically named the Lilith Fund as one of those that is involved in the murder of innocent children. Because now, they- aren't, you, aren't you the only one that we know of who's actually been sued for defamation? by the abortion industry for saying abortion is murder? Yes, actually I am. <laughs> wow. Continue. And so the, Lilith fund, the Lilith Fund, you know, the, the abortion industry is not good at coming up with names. Let's just be honest about <laughs> it. Um, those of us in the pro-life community, we have to come up with names all the time because we're naming so many babies, right? But right. the abortion industry doesn't do that. So they, have, they don't even have to worry about coming up with names. Uh, and so, but if you look at their name, the Lilith Fund, hmm, who, who is Lilith? Well, Lilith, according to Jewish mythology, is a demon that preys on women and children. <laughs> what is a name for them? Yep. And so, as one judge asked the Lilith Fund, when you say that you're suing Mark for defamation, does it include this statement about you being a demon that preys on women and children? (laughs) isn't Isn't it so interesting that darkness, darkness is so obvious. They know what they're doing. And, you know, earlier you'd asked about the, about Planned Parenthood and how that uh, they they say that they're going to abide by uh, the laws, uh, all local and state laws. Right. You know, the reason I think partially that they're going to do that is because they know. They know that what they're doing is the taking of a human life. Hmm. And they know deep down that is wrong. They know that when a city stands up or a state stands up and says, we're not going to allow this because of our moral code, because this is going too far. They have to concede because they know exactly what they're doing. They deep down believe that they are taking innocent life because that's a whole part of this whole demonic movement. It's yeah. all about the spilling of innocent blood in this land. That's right. And that's why, you know, in, in Psalm 106, we see this picture of how that's right. they have sacrificed sons and daughters to demons. And, and so at those abortion facilities, that's like, you know, the, the enemy always has a, a counterfeit, right? 
there's a counterfeit to what is good. When we celebrate communion, we are unified over the, the, the shed blood of our innocent Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's right. It unites the demons. They're united by innocent blood, too. Yep. The innocent blood of unborn children. That that's, that's, right. that's the innocent blood that they come with. That's right. Yep. It's a powerful thing that I talk about a lot on this show, Mark, is that for the left and the secular progressive movement, abortion is actually a sacrament. And Peter Kreft put this better than I ever could. He once said that abortion is the demonic parody of the Eucharist. That's why it uses the same holy words. This is my body, but with the opposite blasphemous meaning. Uh, humankind, because eternity is written on our hearts, Mark, we crave peace. We crave unity. We crave the forgiveness of sins. But I think at a fundamental level, mankind understands that without the shedding of blood, there can be no peace and there can be no forgiveness of sins. So for the left, rather than accepting the broken body and shed blood of Christ for peace and eternal life, they demand that we break the bodies and shed the blood of babies for peace and eternal life. Peace because now my life is how I want it to be. Now I have human flourishing because I don't have a child preventing me from my utopia. Eternal life because we take baby stem cells to kill them to produce vaccines and drugs to extend our own lives because we harvest their organs so that we can take them for ourselves. We are now extending the 14-day limit on growing human beings artificially in petri dishes so we can experiment with gene editing and test it on the baby first, murdering them in the process so that we can see if we can edit our own genes one day and get rid of diseases. The baby simply becomes a sacrifice for man's pursuit of eternal life because they've rejected the broken body and shed blood of Christ for eternal life. And that's a reality that you see and that we need our pastors to wake up to. Um, and it's a reality that's coming to a peak. It's coming to a head right now in our country, isn't it? The spiritual aspect of mankind and of this country is becoming more and more apparent as the enemy overplays his hand. And, thank God, the church and the bride of Christ in some aspects is starting to wake up and recognize that spiritual battlefield, which masquerades as politics, which masquerades as science. It's just science, Mark, that babies are not really persons. Um, and it's about time we call those for the heresy that it is. I want to finish with this, Mark. Um, there is a Texas heartbeat bill, which as of last night, the, today is September 1st of this recording, so as of uh, last night, August 31st, or 12 a.m. September 1st, the Supreme Court has not come out um, and issued an opinion, which the abortion industry has requested through a lawsuit that they filed. So your governor, Greg Abbott, has signed this heartbeat bill into law. To be clear, it's not when the baby has a heartbeat, which is 21 days. It's when the baby has a detectable heartbeat, which is roughly six weeks. Now, according to Texas state law, as of today's recording on September 1st, abortions are illegal in the state of Texas after, or six weeks and after, and we're waiting to see if the Supreme Court will, will voice an opinion on that. Um, we believe that many babies will be saved, uh, at least in the short interim, before the Supreme Court issues an opinion. And this Texas heartbeat bill has a similar aspect and enforcement mechanism to it as your local ordinances that you've helped craft in Lubbock, in that it allows private citizens to also sue. 
Um, so as we wrap up today's show, because this is breaking news from Texas right now, and people are pretty excited about it, uh, can you break down a little bit about this bill, what's going on, and, and what you foresee the future might look like in Texas? Well, I'm a very optimistic person. I believe that the future is pro-life. I believe that we are going to see many successes in the the, the future, near future, regarding many many pieces of pro-life legislation. I'm very proud to uh, support the Texas Heartbeat Act. In fact, it was my senator. Senator Brian Hughes, who brought this to the the, the state house, and so I am very proud of him, and I'm really excited to to see uh, what this means, not just for Texas but for other states. And you know, we saw with Sanctuary Cities for the Unborn, there are 34 cities right now in Texas, but we have we've had some branching out. We've had uh, two cities in Nebraska, one city in Ohio. And there's Many more cities that are looking at this. There's discussions happening in There's discussions happening in Mason, Ohio, Salina, Ohio, Hillsdale, Michigan. And so the Sanctuary Cities movement continues to spread. But we're also that this mechanism, this idea of private enforcement, will go to other states as well on state legislation hmm. in their heartbeat bills and other other types of bills. Right. Yeah, it's a very interesting model, and I appreciate you breaking it down for our listeners, because if the abortion industry will abide with a city ordinance that bans abortion but doesn't enforce it from the political officials and from the city, but just from the private citizens, and that was enough apparently in Lubbock for Planned Parenthood to shut its doors and stop killing babies, I can't help but wonder if that might operate successfully um, at the state level, where a state bans abortion but doesn't really enforce it, but allows private citizens to sue in civil lawsuits for the killing of their cousin in the womb, their sibling in the womb, or their son in the womb, because as you know, fathers have no legal right to protect their own unborn children if his wife, girlfriend, or fling decides to arrange that child slaughter. Uh, and I'm all for uh, new and strategic and innovative attempts to protect life, to end abortion at the local level, and to finally take back life in this country. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for joining the show today. Uh, can you tell people where they can connect with you and learn more about what you do? Absolutely. So we have a website, www.sanctuarycitiesfortheunborn.com. And those who want to see abortion outlawed in their city are encouraged to go to that site and sign the online petition. And when we get enough interest in your area, then we will come out there and do everything we can to help you see abortion outlawed in your city. Praise God. Awesome, Mark. Well, we're praying for you. We're excited for you. We'll be praying over what's happening in your state right now with the heartbeat bill. Pray that many lives would be saved in the interim and hopefully in the long term. So keep fighting, brother. Keep contending, and uh, we're for you. Thank you. 
Thank you, guys. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in today. Uh, if you want to learn more, head on over to um, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show a rating and review. Follow me on YouTube if you'd like to watch this show visually. We do other content on, on there as well, as long as I can fly under the radar of the technocrats at Google. Uh, give the show a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people, especially as the trolls like to show up and leave nasty reviews and low ratings. If you want to learn more or engage with me online, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and I think uh, I think we're going to have a buddy start running my TikTok again to reach the young people. If you want to book me for an event or sign up for my newsletter to learn more, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com. My 2021 speaking calendar, calendar is almost full, so if you want to book me for 2022, we also have a generous church partner that I've told you about before, but for the new listeners of this show, if you want to have me in a faith-based high school, a youth group, or a church, but you can't afford to fly me out and cover the travel expenses, we have a generous church partner that has offered to underwrite all of my expenses to get me to you to wake up your young people in your congregation to take back life. Thank you guys so much for joining the show today. We'll see you next week. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Thank <laughs> you.